like playing hide and seek as a kid? Is, was there anyone here, I should, probably shouldn't say this, was there anyone here that was terrorised by it? Oh, maybe, yeah. <laughs> sorry. So this might be a bad trip for you. I'm really sorry about that. But I guess I picked on hide and seek in a sense because I think it's a game that not only is it a, a simple old favourite, uh, and it sort of gets trotted out. You used to get trotted out whenever the cousins came over. You know, that was, you just um, automatic. It was either that or it's ugly cousin murder in the dark. Uh, I'm probably showing my age now. I don't know. The kids don't play that. We don't let them play things like that anymore, do we? Um, but it's funny. Probably everyone has actually played hide and seek at some point. We all know the, the concept. And, um, Funny thing is, when it comes down to it, when you're playing in, in a house, there's not many places to hide. I mean, there's under the bed or in the closet, really, isn't there? That, that's about it. And uh, there are other places, but it's funny, they probably are the best places to hide. I mean, you can actually hide. But if you think back, I want you to go on a memory, a memory buzz back. If you think back, at some point, you probably hid in a less than ideal place just because you couldn't stand to hide in the closet once again. It just seems so obvious, doesn't it? Hiding in the closet. So uh, is anyone else like me? I reckon at some point you were like jammed between the fridge and the wall, even though you could see your elbow in the hallway or your, or your backside poking out. But you took it because, you know, it was like, I can't go to the obvious place. But you know what? In life, just because something is obvious doesn't mean it's not a good option. Just because something's obvious doesn't mean it's not a good option. And, and I want to talk to us today about hiding in the closet. Hiding in the closet. I guess this time of the year, uh, each week, um, as we begin to fire up the year, I mean, I guess the year really starts around when Shane Willard gets here. That's sort of how we kick the year off or, or the week before, the week before, two weeks before. I'm getting in trouble. No, just cancel that. I hope you watch the ad. Just forget what I said. Um, but everything's starting to fire up. And I guess in this part of the, the, the season, we tend to talk about how to do the year well. They're how to do life well kind of messages, which I think suits the season, don't you? So I want to talk to you about hiding in the closet. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptation's common to man. And the Greek word parasmos, uh, it doesn't just mean like tempted to moral failure, which we often think when we think temptation, it's like, oh, this is just bad and it's all about moral failure of some kind. But the word is much broader than that. It can be translated really well as tested. No testing has come to your life. 
Uh, another word for it is proving, to prove something. Actually, it's, it's about as close as you can get in Greek to the word experiment. To experiment. It's almost like every time you're tempted or tested under pressure, you are, you are getting a choice. You are being tested. You are being proven. It's like an experiment in obedience. <laughs> You're hitting a crossroad and what decision will you make? And often we just think about temptation, you know, the things are, oh, I just shouldn't do that. But as I said, much broader, it's a testing of our lives. Every temptation is an opportunity to embrace life or exile. Life or exile. Life with God in his presence or life out of his presence. It was true in the garden. The temptation, Adam and Eve, what they actually forfeited was their intimacy with God. And then God pursued them to try and bring them back to a place of intimacy. Exactly the same with Israel. They walked away from God. They ended up exiled to Babylon, exiled to a foreign nation, scattered amongst the nations, uh, from whence God promised he would gather them, which he has and continues to do, a gathering back to the source of life. Far from God being a hard-to-please, narrow-minded deity up there that slaps people on the wrist, God is continuously searching for his creation to bring it back to the source of life. And every time we face testing of our life, every time the pressure comes on, it is the opportunity to either allow that pressure or to decide in the midst of that temptation to move towards the source of life or to move away into exile, away from life into difficult places. And there we have the story of temptation. I just want to take a couple of thoughts from this verse today. And uh, it was pretty fresh journaling for me, and I just wanted to share something that was fresh and, I hope, life-giving to us today. You good? Here's some things that I see in this verse, some thoughts. You're not alone, and I don't mean Jesus. Because, I mean, we could quickly go, I know I'm not alone. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God is always with me. No, no, I'm not talking about that. You're not alone and I don't mean Jesus. Paul says this testing, the pressures of your life are common to man. There can be nothing worse sometimes than feeling like you're the only one. I mean, there's nothing worse than being alone full stop. Like the, the worst thing you can be is alone in a crowd. Because it's possible to be alone in a crowd. And it's possible to struggle with things in your head that everyone else is struggling with, but you still feel like you're the only one. As a matter of fact, you won't talk to anyone about it because you're concerned, 
of what they'd think about you if they knew what you struggled with. The fact is, if we could throw everyone's mind up onto a screen here this morning, we'd probably all feel better about our own lives. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that too. Yep, I've done that too. <laughs> yep, that's about where I am too. Common to man, I love this, the way that scripture in just a few verses can begin to detox and deconstruct what I believe often the devil, the enemy of our soul, wants to construct in our mind to hold us out from life. The first thing you've got to embrace is the fact that I'm not alone in this. And it's not just God who's with me, but people are with me on the same journey. I can never afford to embrace the poor me syndrome or the feeling that my situation is somehow unique or special. Now, I guess I'm just assuming here that everyone knows what I'm talking about when I talk about testing and temptation. It's great. Like all the sinners seem to be sitting in this area. The saints are over on that side. And Pastor David obviously is a friend of sinners because he seems to be sitting right in the middle of that whole group. Have you ever noticed how life and, and, and this world, this world system we find ourselves in that holds values often so contrary to what we hold dear to our heart, have you ever noticed that just living in it will sift you? will test everything about you, every conviction, every value, everything you hold dear will be sifted. And, and I guess what Paul is saying is you're not alone in that. That is happening to everyone around you. I mean, you know, without getting weird, just cast a real, like a 30-degree glance at the person beside you. Don't, don't go 90, that'd be weird, but just like 30. Use your peripheral vision. I love that. Anyone seen Get Smart where Max uses his provisional, he's trying to use his peripheral vision by doing this? But just, just turn your head because that person there is facing the same things you are. Different scenarios, different names, different moments in time, different. but at some point that testing has come to their life or is upon their life at the same time. You are not alone. And I don't know, maybe this is why Jesus said, you know, wherever two or three are gathered, you'll experience me. There I am in the midst. Community. You're not alone. Community is a key. I guess that's why we do things like life groups teams, they're not just a good idea. They're not just church structure. Actually, if you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, some of the first things recorded about the lifestyle of the early church is that they continue daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. In other words, from the earliest moments of the church, it was this intuitive thing that we need to do life together. We are not alone in this. 
Maybe for them, the sense of external persecution drove that lesson home in a way that where we who can live so individualistically and so comfortably, that lesson is not driven home to us. Just how much we have in common, including the tests, including temptation, including failure, including brokenness, including a less than perfect life. We have it in common and the early church had that in their gut. So we aren't alone in this journey And so we shouldn't be doing it alone. I think for most people, and especially if you're in a semi-decent church, aloneness is most often a choice. It's a choice. It's not a have to be. It's a choice, so don't choose it. Don't choose it. Well, there's just one little light thought that I pulled out of that verse. Here's another one. Do you want another one or do you want to go home now? Did anyone smell the sausages when the kids went out? That's bad. That like service group, we need to move them further down the car park or something. That's, I thought everyone was going to leave to check on their kids. Sausages smell good. Here's another thought. Understanding faith is a key. And I don't mean faith in God. Understanding faith is a key. (laughs) And I don't mean faith in God. You know, we tend to focus our understanding of faith around our response toward God. Will I trust him? Will I obey him? Can I be faithful? And that is all good, but it's only one side of the faith equation. My response to heaven, what about heaven's response to me? You know, I've always been convinced of this. God believes in you more than you believe in yourself. I love this verse and uh, I'm going to wrestle it totally out of context and have some fun with it, but it's okay. It works. My resident theologian, Warren Peters, is preaching at Crow's Nest, so I should be able to get away with it this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 28. Husbands, any husbands here? Dan Heaton, he sat up straight away when I said it. He's a husband and a teacher. That's a pretty big role. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that she that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. Now, Paul is using uh, 
the relationship between Jesus and the church to, to school husbands in how they should uh, live and move and have their being towards their wife, how they should express their life towards their wives. And he's saying, you should do it the way that Jesus did. I've always found this the most convicting verse in the Bible when it comes to my marriage. Because this verse is talking about what Jesus did and giving himself for the church. And you've got to understand when he did that, there wasn't a church. There wasn't one. It didn't exist. It came into being because of his belief that people would respond to his great act of love on the cross in surrendering his life in our place that that would generate love in our hearts and the need to know this God who loves beyond, beyond all limitations, beyond all failure, we would want to know him. And so Jesus moved in faith, having faith in us, that we would respond that we would open our hearts and we could go around the room and, you know, on different days of the calendar year and blah, 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 we could retrace it all. I don't even know the day that I gave my heart to Jesus. I know it was somewhere, I think it was February 1986, but that's as close as I can sort of track it down. But somehow Jesus knew in February 86, this 21-year-old would not be able to stand holding God out of his life any further, would have to open his heart and invite him in. And Jesus did it by faith because he has confidence in you that you will respond right. And everyone who's sitting here today has proven him right, that his faith was not wasted, that his faith was well-placed. And you think it just starts and ends with the day that you open your heart to Jesus? I don't think so. I think he absolutely believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. Divine expectations would never be realised because of the human race and our foibles. So Jesus' love bridged the gap and fulfilled an expectation that we never could. That's how Jesus won our hearts and I guess as an aside, husband's. Likewise, your human expectations will never be met. Can we have a little aside for husbands? Which wives would really like to have a little aside for their husbands at the beginning of the year? They're not game. You really love your man, don't you? It's good. But husbands, your, your expectations will never be fulfilled. It's funny how we hold really high standards for everyone else except ourselves generally. But I think what Paul says when he says, you should love your wife like Christ loved the church is your love should fill the gaps in your expectations. Your love should fill what is in your perception lacking. And if you can lay down your rights and your own agendas and love your wife as the perfect person that God has given you, then your marriage can take on a divine nature, a supernatural nature that transcends human failure. In the same way that Jesus' faith in us created something, 
your faith in your partner, your love for your partner in spite of will actually create something supernatural in your marriage. It's very quiet in here. It's very quiet for like the third week of the year or whatever it is. So moving on along. You know, I think God creates an opportunity because he, uh, he sees a future when you don't. Why does God believe in you? Well, well, he sees a future that you don't. And, and if you know this about God, he doesn't waste his energy. So, so when he gets a hold of a life, it's for a reason. He's not going to waste the investment. He's always going to bring something great to pass. So I want to encourage us. Understand faith. Understand the faith that God's got in you. In every area of life where, where reality doesn't meet expectations, where you think, I just can't. I can't accept that. I can't do that. I can't go through that. This testing is too great. Paul is saying, no. Nah. No, God's confident that you won't be tested beyond what you can handle. you just got to get some supernatural eyes. In most situations, disappointment is a choice. So don't choose it. In most situations, disappointment. I don't mean disappointment as in, you know, in a moment of time, I didn't get my chocolate ice cream. I mean, the stuff you meditate on and you allow to embed in your heart, that's a choice most of the time. Don't choose it. Choose faith. Let faith fill the gaps. Let love fill the gaps. Last thought. I've got to get to this one. Obviously, I'm running out of time. Keep an eye out for the exit. Keep an eye out for the exit. And I don't mean running away. In every pressure situation, there's an exit. That's literally what the Scripture says. God will make a way of escape. And I think if we're attentive to Him, we'll see it. It's sort of like the exit sign. If you, we turned all the lights off in here, these exit signs don't look really bright. But I can tell you, I come down here and pray during the week sometimes. And aside from a bit of light that creeps in under the, the escape doors over there, when you turn the lights out, Within a few moments, you realise just how bright those little green men running out the door are. And I think in the same way, God's able to show us the exit to any situation that we feel we can't cope with. Sometimes it's as simple as walking away. Sometimes it's as simple as closing your mouth. Sometimes it's closing the screen on a device and turn to Him instead. Here's a couple of verses. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, in testing, in trial, in temptation. Psalm 61, verse 3. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And I really believe worship and intimacy, it might be an old thing, Prayer, talking to God, getting aside, giving Him your full attention. 
it's as old as the hills. As a matter of fact, it's really obvious. And so sometimes we avoid it. We'd rather drive around our car with a CD playing or we'd rather go on Facebook for some advice. Or we'd, Hey, listen, just because something's obvious doesn't mean it's not a great option. And when the pressure's on, when you feel like I can't cope or I can't get through this or what is, I'm getting swallowed by my circumstances, honestly, hiding in the closet is not a bad option at all. Finding yourself in God, deliberately placing yourself there. I know for me, when this message really came alive to me was in a time down here last week in this auditorium wrestling with some circumstances in my life, frustrated, going, God, what is in my heart? What has gotten in my heart that I'm thinking this way? And I opened my eyes and I noticed the exit sign and I remembered my journaling. And in a blink of a moment, in that moment with God, and just giving Him a little bit of time, undistracted, It was just like the hinges came off the trap that was holding me. And instantly I knew I had some people to forgive. I knew I had some phone calls to make, some conversations that were long overdue. And at that point, I realised, man, I just moved towards life by making that decision. When I was locked in my own heart and doing my own thing, I was moving towards exile without even knowing it opening my heart to Jesus, worshipping Him and then deciding to activate what He was showing me, I immediately began to move towards life because when you spend time with God, two things happen. You get a revelation of just how able He is to set you free and to provide for you and to make a way where there seems to be no way, to soften your heart when you think you've shut it up tight. All of a sudden you encounter God and you realise, man, He is just so much bigger than me and so able to bring freedom to my life. And the second thing that you get is you get a revelation of yourself. You see everything else, everything that's in you. God can deactivate the stuff that sometimes trapping you, the thinking, the wrong thinking, the confused thinking, the you know, self-justifying your own Responses that might not be so good, all of a sudden, all of that comes undone. undone. And you're able to fall at His feet and once again say, God, set me free. I just want to serve you and live for you and love you. And then in His presence, His, His love, as I said after that song, we shouldn't just be singing, I need your love. We should realize it's true. Otherwise, we're left to ourselves. We're left to our temptations. We're left to our tests. We we get isolated. We think we're the only one. We stop believing that we can get free. We stop believing in in our ability. We believe in ourselves less than what God believes in us. And I want to encourage you back to a place of intimacy. Man, if this is a, a message for this year, then don't uh, then don't miss it. Jesus said, when you pray, don't make a big show of it. Go in your closet. 
shut yourself in somewhere. Find a place of intimacy was literally what he was saying. Find a place of intimacy in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of trial. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are a classic example of it. Chained up at midnight, singing hymns and praising God. They found a place of intimacy in a dungeon. And all of a sudden their circumstances changed. What do you need to change? What needs to break for you? What's been hammering on you? What do you fear most? What circumstances are running out of control and you just can't get your feet under you? Because life can be like that so often. But a place of intimacy with God becomes an anchor, becomes a place of refuge, becomes a place of clarity, becomes a place of strategy, becomes a place of healing. Okay, I want to close this. Worship is a good choice. So choose it. Choose it. So I guess I've given you a few things. Uh, Don't be alone. Don't be disappointed. Be a worshipper. Here's some questions that might help supply it. What do you turn to on a difficult day? Self-pity or prayer. If you've been doing it alone, what are you going to do about not being alone? Go to the next steps barrel. Get in a life group. Get on a team. Do whatever you've got to do to not do it alone. Here's a big one. Can you receive God's faith in you? Can you peel back layers of self-doubt, shame, failure, insecurity and accept that he believes you have what it takes? This is not a motivational speech, by the way. You have what it takes. Jesus laid his life down banking on it. Even if it's to do life messy. Even if you just get through messy. God loves you. God's on your side. Where are you going to escape to this year? You're in a world of fear, substances, bad habits or a place of intimacy. Now, I want to encourage you, whatever you face this year, God's got it. If you'll only come to Him. He's confident you've got it. Even if you have to spend some time hiding in the closet. So I'd love to pray for you today. Who's ready to hide in the closet? (laughs) I know I'm preaching to so many of the converted today, but hey, we've got to hear it, haven't we? Why don't you stand with me, if you're comfortable with that, if you're comfortable with that. And when the pressure, when the trial, when the... Don't be isolated. Don't get disappointed and offended and 
Don't let those things entrench themselves. Instead, hide in the closet. So Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and this year, as we launch into another incredible opportunity called 2020, Father, we are determined to find you in a place of intimacy, not to be isolated, cut off, not to allow things to build in our heart that pull us down, but Father, to find ourselves in a place of refreshing, a place of revelation, a place where confusion becomes clear, a place where hurt becomes healed as we spend time in your presence. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, just while we're in this moment of worship, you know, if you want to just reconnect with God right now, maybe it's been a while, why don't you just reach a hand to heaven? Just reach out to him and say, Lord, I am reconnecting that place of intimacy. I want to pursue you. Come on, he's pursuing you. Just the fact that you're here today hearing this message means he's pursuing you. And if you feel you need to, why don't you just reach out to him right now? Just lift a hand to heaven. God, I'm pursuing you. I'm chasing you. I'm going after you. And the pressures and the temptations and all of that stuff, I'm determined to cause, to allow that to cause me to go deeper. Not to pull me out, but to pull me in to your presence in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just in this moment of worship with God, just maybe your journey hasn't really included God to this point. You might have been hanging around, people in life group or hanging around the life of the church and you're very, very welcome, but you just say to me, Chris, today I would like that intimacy with God. I'd like to find God in my life in a way that changed us, changed me and changed my circumstances in a way that is tangible and real and makes a difference. That's what I need. That's what I want. And um, if you're here today and that's the cry of your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to connect your life with God in a very simple way. In a few moments' time, we're going to pray a very simple prayer. It'll be up on the screen. And it's just a prayer that helps us open our heart, expresses us opening our heart to Jesus. The whole church is going to pray it. But friend, if you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Chris, I need to start this year that way, connected to God. And I want Him in my life. And, and maybe you've never done it or maybe you've, you've have in the past, but you've been away, you've been disconnected from God. You want to reconnect with Him. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just right where you stand, really quickly. I'm not going to prolong it. Come on, friend, if that's you, this is your opportunity right now to connect your life with God's. Just as I look around, one more time, friend, if that's you. And for you, that's how you want to start this year. 2020 is a year where I get to know God and I get to follow Jesus. Fantastic. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. Now, if you, uh, if you prayed that prayer in a few moments' time, Maddie's going to come. And uh, if you prayed like for the first time, and it was like, this is, this is me making my way to Jesus. Maddie's got some uh, information for you in a moment. For all of us, 
Let's allow pressure and less than perfect things to push us deeper. Because no matter what's going on, God always makes a way of escape. And that escape is a place called intimacy. Amen.